Welcome to the Under 8 Podcast, a three times per week college basketball show brought to you in under eight minutes at the time of recording. It is Sunday, February 25th, 4.43 p.m. My name is Josh Mullenix. On today's pod, Houston gets a big win at Baylor, the Kentucky and Alabama shootout. And yes, we need to talk about court storming. It's all right now on the Under 8 Podcast. Josh Doring is here with me. Josh, Houston 82, Baylor 76 in overtime. Houston looked like they were going to control this thing to the end of regulation, cough it up, and, um, you know, thought maybe we got a outcome at the end of regulation. Um, instead, we go to overtime. Houston able to control the overtime to get a big-time win in Waco. Yeah, you, you look at the end results here, and you think this is a really – exciting back and forth game and not exactly the case <laughs> i think the lead was what 17 at one point and baylor in that second half just kept making shots and had one of those halves where everything was going in i didn't even feel like houston's defense was that bad i mean of course there are things calvin samson wants to fix because their bar is so high for what they do defensively which is why they're the best defensive team in the country but it was a lot of just Jacoby Walter and Jalen Bridges making shots. Yeah. And you don't you don't see teams able to claw their way back into a game against Houston very often. And then you've yeah, you've got the ending where Baylor actually has a chance to take the lead, but Eve missing misses the free throw. Then you've got the Jamal Shed shot that doesn't count. So then you go to overtime, Houston takes control. And you're kind of checking the boxes one by one here to see if there's going to be a slip up from Houston. This was the mm-hmm. toughest one left. They found a way. It wasn't perfect. It should have been much less stressful than it was considering how well they played in the first half and the performances across the board that they got. But now you're looking at two very winnable road games and Kansas. Mm-hmm. So Certainly not done, and Iowa State is continuing to put pressure on them, but this was a big step toward Houston cementing themselves as one of the top two seeds, most likely, and the outright Big 12 champions. Jacoby Walter's so good, too. Still want that to get lost here. He is he is something, and I can't wait to see what he's going to do at the next level because that guy can score. It's kind of it's probably actually a bad thing in terms of how we discuss Jacoby Walter that he did what he did the first time we ever saw him. Yeah, right. <laughs> because now everything else is kind of like, well, it isn't what he did in South Dakota. Right, right. His 16 points a game or whatever it is, just eh, yeah. Know. Yeah, he's just I mean, he's quietly 14.7 points, four and a half rebounds, couple of assists. He isn't shooting the ball on like his his three point numbers don't jump off the page in any real way. It's like thirty three percent or something. So it's but yes, he is he's super talented. Uh, my question for you is why why don't people talk about Houston as one of the best teams in the country? Like why why is it always Purdue and UConn and then Houston is whether it's tier two by themselves or tier two with Marquette and throw whoever else you want in there. There are three teams 
in at the top of the sport that have three losses. It's UConn, it's Purdue, and it's Houston. And there is one team that is top 16 in both offensive and defensive efficiency. It's not Purdue and it's not UConn. So um, is it is it a tournament thing? Because, you know, that could be the, the reason why, but like everything surrounding Purdue is tournament stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're in everyone's, it has very little hesitation when it comes to putting Purdue in the conversation as the best team in the country. In my mind, there are three teams and everybody else for this exact reason. Sure. I mean, depending on how this goes, if Houston wins this thing outright and wins the Big 12 tournament, hypothetically without losing another game, and UConn loses somewhere, I don't know how you don't make them the number one overall seed. If they sweep the Big 12, mm-hmm. I- I'm right there with you. The- what, Baylor's only other home loss was the triple overtime one against TCU? And they went in there and won. Yeah. Yeah, of course, there are questions. I have some questions. I don't necessarily believe in this formula as one that can win a national championship, generally speaking. Now, talked about recently, Jamal Shad is starting to change that. They are, I feel like, a little bit more dynamic offensively this year. There's time to talk about that part of it later. But from a ability to win basketball game standpoint, because like you said, everybody's going to bash Purdue as well, but that's nothing to do with the regular season. I- I'm right there with you. Oh, absolutely. This is a three-team race here for number one overall seed, best team in the country. It has to be. They are handling the best conference in the country. There can be no questions left because it's not like, oh, they play in the AAC. No, they're doing this in the Big 12, just like you and I both expected them to. Maybe not quite this good, but we both thought they'd have no trouble because whenever they play good basketball teams, Generally speaking, they show up and they beat an awful lot of them. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. So uh, I think that's interesting. Uh, they will now be the number one team in the country. That's the other part of this is they will be the number one team in the country on Monday's uh, AP poll after their two and a week. And of course, uh, the loss that UConn took to Creighton earlier this week, 82 76 big time win in Waco in, in, in Lexington, two teams in regulation put up a uh, 100, 215 points. No, sorry, that's not the right math. 212 12. points. Um, that's a lot of points. Um, and Josh, I don't care how good Alabama's offense is. Don't care. Couldn't care less because, like, until they show me that they can play defense in any way, shape, or form, uh, I- I'm out. I'm out. I don't care. I don't care how s- historically good Alabama's offense is. Um, they shot 57% from the field, went to the free throw line 27 times, made six threes. Like 35% as a team is not like a like a fall off the edge of a cliff, like bad number. It was six of 17. Like Alabama has done way worse from the three-point line than that. And they didn't even sniff a victory. No, this was this was not competitive. They got they got smoked. Yeah. <laughs> and so so like I I'm out. That's fine. We can we can write as many articles about how good Alabama's offense is as we want. Um, at some point, you got to stop somebody from scoring the basketball. You should never lose a college game when you score ninety five points, much but, less lose by twenty two. So here's the thing: they they've scored ninety five plus in four straight and allowed at least ninety two in four or five games. Right. Yeah, I've just never seen anything quite like this. <laughs> They're just playing games in the 90s right now, generally speaking. And they win some of them and they lose some of them. 
that first half was a sight to behold in terms of how bad they were defensively, how good Kentucky was offensively. Because it takes two parts of this, right? To score 117 points in a regulation college basketball game. Mm-hmm. And Justin Edwards had the game of his life and everybody else played well. And Cal stumbled upon this lineup that went nuclear. Can that lineup defend to be determined? But they were impossible to guard in this game. We're pretty much at the same point with both of these teams, right? Where at least that's that's where I'm coming from on this is, okay, Kentucky had a pretty good defensive stretch before mm-hmm. this. Alabama, not a good defensive team. Kentucky has struggled defensively at the very least. You know what they can both do offensively. You know what they can do on any given day. Can one of them, probably Kentucky, because I just don't think Alabama can do it, put together two weekends or two weeks, right, four games or something of decent defense with their offense being this good? Mm-hmm. That's That's where I am because it's just going to be – Maybe not so much with Alabama. I think Alabama's a little bit more consistent in terms of you know what you're going to get. Kentucky, it could be terrible. It could be incredible. They could beat anybody in the country. They could also lose in the first round. It's going to be fascinating at the very least. There's just – it's really hard to tell with both of these teams. And you certainly can't – I'm with you that I will not trust a team that can't play defense, so Alabama's out. And Kentucky has shown you can't trust them on any given day to be what they can be. But it's a sight to behold when it all comes together. The question is, is that going to continue? And that's why I'll never give up on this team is, you know, it's there. They show sometimes. We just don't know what version we're going to get come NCAA tournament time. Yeah. I'm not sure they ever show even when it's awesome that they can play defense. So I'm not sure I especially care. Right. That's the question is they haven't done it over a stretch where you like North Carolina did, where you go, well, it's in there somewhere that they can do this for three, four weeks. Yeah. They have games or a game or two. Yeah. Can they figure it out? And they don't have to be great defensively, right? They just have to be good enough. That can get you to a final four. If your offense is spectacular, the Mm -hmm. next step is you're going to have to win a game with defense somewhere. If you're getting all the way to a national championship. That would be that would be my preference. It's probably going to happen. Yeah, that would be my preference. Um, last but not least, Duke falls at Wake Forest. Good basketball game for what it's worth. 83-79 Wake. It felt like the biggest game at Wake Forest in quite some time. Um, you could kind of feel it in the building. Duke had been playing some really good basketball. Hunter Salas was excellent. 29 points for him to lead the way. I mean, really nice play from, from a lot of Wake Forest team. They shoot 60% from the field. Um, unfortunately, a really awesome performance from Wake at home on a big stage was not the, uh, was not the headline once this game was over. No. Yeah. Got to have this conversation. We were texting right after it happened. So Kyle Filipowski has a sprained ankle, severity, TBD, mm-hmm. in terms of what the impact is going to be moving forward. And right after watching the, the video of it, I went and watched John Shire's comments. And John Shire said the exact two things that I was thinking, which is where I want to start this. Number one, that happened, what, five seconds after the final buzzer? 
There were people on the court before the buzzer went off. Yeah. Am I maybe slightly exaggerating that? And I'm not talking about the time in which the people entered the court. I'm talking about the time in which somebody made contact with Kyle Filipowski. Oh yeah. If, 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 if not less time. Yeah. Yeah. It was instantaneous. That cannot happen. That was a failure of security because if this is going to be a thing, you've got to at least let players get off the floor. It was impossible for him to do anything about what happened. That's number one. And number two, Caitlin or John Shire also said the other thing I was thinking about, which is at what point are we going to say this can't happen anymore? Who is it going to take? You would have thought it might've been Caitlin Clark. Apparently not. Now we've got an all American candidate on the biggest, one of the biggest men's basketball programs in the country playing really good basketball, top 10 team in the country who is seemingly going to miss games. It didn't sound like this was a particularly great, at least initial diagnosis here. Mm-hmm. What is going to actually make somebody do something about this? And the, the other thing I'll throw out there before you respond too is I can understand that there is some instances that you could argue call for court storming. But the fact that everybody does this anytime some top 15 team comes into your building and you win, I think you and I are both on the same page that part of this, and okay, it's Wake Forest. This is a big deal for Wake, like you said. You don't. It's a huge win for their NCAA tournament resume. This might be the thing that gets them into the tournament. Mm-hmm. That is a big deal. This is not the best example of what I'm getting at here. But at some point, you should expect to win on your home floor. Because part of this is this implication that it is such a big deal every time you knock somebody off, that it's such a surprise. And I know that's not how people view it, but that's where I'm coming from. I'm part of this too, is that the bar for storming the court is so low and it's becoming dangerous. Not that it was ever completely safe, but I don't know what anybody at Duke was supposed to have done about this. Maybe this is finally the thing that makes people reevaluate this, but I'm not holding my breath either. Um, yeah, a couple of things. One, if you truly believe that court storming is like an integral part of college basketball, you can get off my lawn with that crap. Get off my lawn with it. Like, okay. Like you're just, you're just wrong. You're just incorrect. Um, like great basketball games have nothing added to them because students storm the court after the game. Great basketball games are great basketball games with the students on the sidelines the entire 40 minutes. So anybody like like get off my lawn with that. I don't have time for that. Um two. Um like I'm not sure part of me just thinks that like there's nothing anybody can do about it because it's a bunch of drunk college students. Right. Who that's aren't that's pay the concern to... here is what is the solution other than just banning it and can you actually enforce it if that's what's going to happen? Right. And does even the like, like, what is the punishment for a ban? Like, like, if you do it, because if the punishment is we're going to find the athletic department of this, of this power five school that has an ESPN contract, like, and a, and a coach that's making $5 million a year, like, nobody cares. Nobody cares about that $50,000 fine. Um, so like you either have to make it it's like it's like recruiting violations you have to actually make it something that's a deterrent yep 
because I'm not sure that asking like I'm not, I'm not sure that asking student sections to count to ten before they rush the court is gonna like work. If if there's anything if there's anything in the rules that says yes at some point you can court storm then like I'm not sure that there's that that there's anything that's that's to be done but um like like what I really wish is that people would just watch what they where they were running like it's like like don't like there was clear like intent to make contact with Filipowski from at least one of the students. Maybe not the the first one, but there's one person who's who's whose course changed to move closer to Filipowski. And like like what I would really love is that people just like watch where they're going, have compassion and empathy for the guy who's just trying to get off the court, maybe let let him walk by first. And I know that I'm like naive and pathetic to say that, but like yeah, what I wish is that people would just be like, would just look out for each other and say, hey, maybe I don't go full steam ahead into Kyle Filipowski because I do not give a single damn about who your basketball team just beat. Couldn't care less. Couldn't care less. And it's just not that important to get on the, on the court. It's just not. And the other part of that, too, is that makes a lot of sense. You would hope people think that way. Although, yeah, but. Not not showing the situation from what we see, right? The other part is the um, you've got people coming, and and you and I have been part of court stormings, smaller ones, mm-hmm. <laughs> because the student section was smaller and not a ACC university. But you also had the people behind you. I'm not even sure how much control. Now, obviously, there is some better examples of intentionally trying to do something or get in somebody's face or make contact or something like that. But I'm not even sure how much a single person who is trying to avoid making contact and trying to stay out of the way of everybody else can do if there are five people pushing behind you, Mm -hmm. right? There is that mob mentality part of it too, which is part of what makes this so dangerous. Or you feel like you have to run because the people behind you are about to stampede you. Mm Mm-hmm. You're also, at least to a certain extent, at the mercy of everybody else, which is a very, very scary thought. Yeah, this is something that I don't, I've never totally understood. I mean, of course we get it, and it's kind of fun to be on the court afterward, but the need to do it immediately uh, and to do it every time there's some kind of upset, yeah, I I saw Seth Davis make this point, and I generally agree that players have earned the right to be on the court. Mm-hmm. Students have not earned the right to be on the court. This is not some kind of thing that you are entitled to yeah. as a member of a college basketball student section. And so it's a cool idea if it is safe and works and fun. But when stuff like this happens the right that you never had in the first place is gone because we're getting to a point where you just can't trust people. If you ever could to actually keep the athletes safe. And that's priority number one. So whatever has to happen for that to actually be part of this is what needs to happen. If that means people need to stay off the court, then fine. If there's a middle ground, which I'm also skeptical that 
there's a way to balance this out where it doesn't happen until the other team is up, is off the floor. And can you actually stop people from doing so? That If that can work, great. Mm-hmm. But this is, hopefully this is, unfortunately, the Duke had to be the ones to pay the price for this, and Kyle Filipowski in particular. But if you haven't listened to what John Shire said, he basically was articulating all of the things I was thinking. He was clearly furious and for good reason. This was coming. There's nothing surprising about it. I don't know who it's going to take if this one doesn't stop it because we're running out of higher profile players that have been somehow impacted by this because you've already got Caitlin Clark and now you've got Kyle Filipowski. Yeah. Yeah. Protect the players. If there's a way to make that happen and allow court storming, sure. If that's what you feel like you need for the upset to like mean something more, yeah. great, go for it. And also, but if you, if you can't protect the players, then don't do it. Right. And this is the other part too for me. We're sitting here talking about how Kyle Filipowski got injured because of contact made with Wake Forest students, not what Wake Forest men's basketball team and Steve Forbes just did. Yeah. You take the focus away from the really cool thing that happened. Because you're putting it in the hands of a bunch of college students who have a hard time behaving themselves. From a school standpoint, from a brand standpoint, it's not like this is helping Wake Forest either. They look terrible because they failed as an institution to have the proper security protocols in place and or execute those security protocols. And now Filipowski is significant being. This is going, it's not just that something happened where he could have gotten hurt. He got hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? The other couple of things I did want to mention in the SEC race conversation, Tennessee. So with this Alabama loss against Kentucky, Tennessee is now tied with Bama. Tennessee's remaining schedule is the three teams right next to them. (laughs) So Tennessee is going to decide who wins the SEC, basically, with how the rest of this regular season goes. Washington State, great win over Arizona, we're rolling, and then uh, don't know what happened against Arizona State. And also, we haven't gotten to mention this one yet. Shout out to South Florida, now at least co-regular season champions in the AAC. They're closing in on an outright AAC title in a year where we were all talking about Memphis and all talking about FAU. Absolutely incredible. Good for South Florida. We talked about this earlier when they beat, I think it was Memphis, one of the two teams. But they've just kept going. They are having an incredible season and doing to the AAC what we thought Florida, Atlantic, and Memphis should. So, bravo, South Florida. That's going to do it. Under 8 Podcast, Sunday, February 25th. It is 5.06 p.m. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your shows. Follow the Under 8 Pod on Twitter. Subscribe on YouTube. Thank you for being here. We will see you on Tuesday.